unlikely father. We don't know exactly how old, but Luke says he was getting on in years. Chapter 1, verse 10. So when his child is finally born, what he has to say is significant for a number of reasons. First, because it's an amazing thing to have one foot in the geriatric ward and the other in the maternity ward. It's a miraculous birth. So we ought to listen when he finally speaks this Zechariah. Also, these are the first words he has spoken for nine months. When the angel Gabriel appeared to him and told him he was going to be a father, Zechariah, he didn't believe it. So he was rendered speechless, mute during the whole pregnancy. So anyone who has been storing up their words for months would be worth, it would be do what we would do well to see what he says first when he finally speaks, right? Also, Zechariah was a priest, and you should always listen to your priest or your pastor. Everyone knows that. But also, he's a new father. I think there's a certain clarity that comes to dads in those early days of parenthood. For some of us, we kind of woke up for the first time when fatherhood went from theory to reality. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's different for moms. Pregnancy is a very personal, physical thing. For dads, though, it can be kind of academic. Through the first, second, the third trimesters, we have entertained fatherhood as kind of an idea. But that can all change in a moment. I will never forget March 16th, 1983. Dr. John Coppice at Northwest Hospital handed me this amazing eight pound, 10 ounce bundle and said, I heard a little click when listening to her lungs. Please take her down to the newborn area. There will be a pediatrician there to meet you. Can you do that? Could I do that? He may as well have asked me anything at that moment, and I would have said, yes. <laughs> Leap a tall building in a single bound. Outpace a speeding bullet. Stop a mighty locomotive with one little finger. Well, yeah, I can do this. As we took our first walk, I looked down at her for the first time. I said, hey there, Rebecca. Dad's taking you to the nursery. And I realized in that moment that this little person was my daughter. My flesh and blood. And I was suddenly so overwhelmed. My heart flooded with love and responsibility and, and courage and, and a fierce protectiveness. I could have encountered Godzilla in that hallway and just completely destroyed him with an icy stare. <laughs> but here's the most amazing part of it. Up to that point in my life, 
I had times of feeling doubtful about the existence of God. I vacillated at times. Is it all true or is it not? Did somebody make this up? Is it a myth or is it true? I'd go back and forth. But that day, that love that I experienced was completely inexplicable. Where did that come from? How was it so powerful? I was just bowled over. The experience brought to mind an old Keith Green song that was popular in churches in the late 70s called, You Put This Love in My Heart. I don't know if you remember that. And I knew at this moment to be true that God gave me such a powerful love for my daughter and then did it again twice, again in 1985 and in 1986. So when Zechariah speaks for the first time, he's in touch with something that is amazing. And it's no wonder that this poem, Prophecy, has become so famous. It has been set to music over and over again. It has been read and recited in worship services for thousands of years. It's called the Benedictus because that's the first word of it in verse 68 in Latin. Benedictus Dominus Deus Israel. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. And he starts this amazing poem. It's a wide-ranging anthem of praise to an extraordinary gift of favor, mercy, and love for his people. That God is keeping the promises made generations earlier. But here's what I've noticed as I've been studying this passage this week. God's love for his people is best described as the kind of love that I first experienced on March 16, 1983, a love of a parent for a child. I mean, look at verse 78, and I hope you have it in front of you. Verse 78, by the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet to the way of peace. You know, this is what parents do. They guide the feet of their children. This is a basic function of, of, of loving parental love. You know how it looks, right? Have you done this? You could get a very sore back doing this. Parents do it for hours. And I, as I was studying this passage this week, I began thinking, you know, I wonder if Zechariah had another famous prophecy in mind as he was talking about guiding, God guiding our feet. Hi, Hosea 11 Verses 1 through 3 and then verse 8. When Israel was a child, I loved him. 
And out of Egypt I called my son. The more I called them, the more they went from me. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and offering incense to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up in my arms. But they did not know that I healed them. And then verse 8, How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. Can you hear the love in this text? This is what Zechariah is teaching us here. How much God loves us. The same way a parent loves a child, watching out for them, guiding them step by step, walking alongside so that they'll learn how to, how to walk, a love and a compassion that is warm and tender. William Barclay wrote about this subject saying that it's a simple fact that people did not know what God was like until Jesus came. The Greeks thought of a passionless God beyond all joy and sorrow, looking upon humanity in calm, unmoved detachment. No help there. The Jews thought of a demanding God whose name was law and whose function was that of a judge. Nothing but terror there. Jesus came to tell that God was love. And in staggered amazement, we could only say, we never knew that God was like that. End of quote. I'm wondering, did you know that God was like that? Like a father tenderly teaching a child to walk? like a mother fiercely loyal and protective. Did you know? And then one final image. Like a parent who only wants what's best for her kids, the last words of the Benedictus are ad dirigendos peres notros in viam pacis, to guide our feet into the way of peace. As a dad of adult children and, and now grandchildren, this is my prayer, that my, my daughters and sons-in-law and their kids will have peace. That they will find their deep purpose in, in serving and glorifying God and therefore find that deep, satisfying peace that defies understanding. This is my prayer for my kids. And this is what God wants for you this Christmas. Why? Because he loves you. We've talked about welcoming Jesus this Advent. And here's a really important part of this. Are you willing to welcome the love of God? For someone here today, this may be the first time you've heard or seriously considered this question. 
Are you willing to welcome God's love for you? So I ask you not to answer too quickly. We talked about the fact that God comes to us like a guest at the door, knocking, asking to be let in. He will never force his way in. He waits to be invited. But just in the same way that parenthood went from theory to reality for me the day my daughter was born, perhaps today, perhaps you're sensing that God's love for you is real. And if that's the case, I urge you today to do two things. First of all, let someone know. You can simply tell a good friend, perhaps the person you came to church with today. Or you could write something on your welcome card. I think you all have them in the bulletin. Something like, today I'm saying yes to God's love for me. Pastor Dan and I would love to follow up with you on what the next steps would be. But if this is meaningful for you this morning, open that door to God's love. There's no better time than the Sunday before Christmas. The holiday that celebrates God's best gift of love to us, Jesus. And the second thing to do is simply to pray and to say, yes, Lord, I know you love me. I open the door to you. I welcome you in. If this is real for you today for the first time, I ask you to pray that prayer. Lord, I welcome you in. You may be in a place in your life right now where you sense that God has been trying to break through to you, but you've been resisting. Perhaps there's a conflict and a close relationship and you know that you're the one holding back. Could it be that God is just waiting to flood the situation with his love and all he wants is for you to open that door? Why hold on to resentment and, and past hurts and anger when, when letting go and showing some grace and mercy could be like what Zechariah described as the dawn from on high? Open the door. You know, there's an old story by a woman named Dina Donahue called Trouble at the Inn. Perhaps you've heard it. I want to read it this morning. I love stories at Christmas. For years now, whenever Christmas pageants are talked about in a certain little town in the Midwest, someone is sure to mention the name of Wallace Perling. Wally's performance in one annual productivity of the production of the Nativity play has slipped into the realm of legend. But the old timers who were in the audience that night never tire of recalling exactly what happened. Wally was nine years old. And in the second grade, and though he should have been in the fourth, most people in town knew that he had difficulty keeping up. He was big and awkward, 
slow in movement and in mind. Still, Wally was well-liked by the other children in his class, all of whom were smaller than he, though the boys had trouble hiding their irritation when Wally would ask to play ball with them, or any game, for that matter, in which winning was important. (laughs) They'd find a way to keep him out. But Wally would hang around anyway, not sulking, just hoping. He was a helpful boy, always willing, smiling, the protector, paradoxically, protector of the underdog. (laughs) If the older boys chased the younger ones away, it would be Wally who'd say, can't they stay? They're no bother. Wally fancied the idea of being a shepherd in the Christmas pageant with the play's director, Miss Lombard, assigned him a more important role. After all, she reasoned, the innkeeper did not have too many lines, and Wally's size would make his refusal of lodging to Joseph more forceful. And so it happened that the usual large partisan audience gathered for the town's yearly extravaganza of crooks and crutches, of beards, crowns, and halos, and a whole stage full of squeaky voices. No one on stage or off was more caught up in the magic of the night than Wallace Perling. They said later that he stood in the wings and watched the performance with such fascination that Miss Lombard had to make sure he didn't wander on stage before his cue. Then the time came when Joseph appeared slowly, tenderly, guiding Mary to the door of the inn. Joseph knocked hard on the wooden door set into the painted backdrop. Wally, the innkeeper, was there, waiting. What do you want? Wally said, swinging the door open with a brusque gesture. We seek lodging. Seek it elsewhere, Wally spoke vigorously. The inn is filled. Sir, We have asked everywhere in vain. We've traveled far and are very weary. There's no room for you in this inn. Wally looked properly stern. Please, good innkeeper, this is my wife, Mary. She's heavy with child and needs a place to rest. Surely you must have some small corner for her. She is so tired. Now, for the first time, the innkeeper relaxed his stiff stance and looked down at Mary. With that, there was a long pause, long enough to make the audience a bit tense with embarrassment. No, be gone, the prompter whispered. No, Wally repeated automatically. Be gone. Joseph sadly placed his arm around Mary, and Mary laid her head upon her husband's shoulder, and the two of them started to move away. The innkeeper did not return inside his inn, however. Wally stood there in the doorway, watching the forlorn couple. His mouth was open, his brow creased with concern, his eyes filling unmistakably with tears. And suddenly, This Christmas pageant became different from all others. 
Don't go, Joseph! Wally called out. Bring Mary back! And Wallace Perling's face grew into a bright smile. You can have my room! (laughs) Some people in town thought that the pageant had been ruined. Yet there were others, many, many others, who considered it the most Christmas of all Christmas pageants they had ever seen. Open the door to God's love this Christmas. Whatever that means for you, don't hold back. God may be waiting to guide your feet into the way of peace. He's not going to force you. So put out that welcome mat. Open the door. You'll be glad you did. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Let's pray.